Uh, the scripture today will be from 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines unto your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Well, you may be seated. Oh, it's nice and dark in here. <laughs> if you have a copy of Scripture, go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. Thank you, John, for reading that. Today we're taking a break from uh, Christmas. We're taking a break from the prayers of Jesus to look at a very obscure story in the life of David. A rather one that, if I'm being honest, I had never heard of until about six months ago. I don't never heard of this story. And one that while I was reading, God just it struck me with, uh, one that I saw direct relation to how we live our life. Today we're gonna talk about how do we make decisions? When opportunities are right in front of us, what do we do? When we're faced with opportunities, uh, when, when we're faced with a moment where we get to make a decision about where, whether we're gonna go left or right, how do we respond? All of us have these moments in our life we face them constantly. They happen in small moments. Some of y'all have that uh, driving through town trying to figure out where we're going to go for dinner. And that's a constant argument, I guess, in your car of where to go. Some of them happen in larger moments. Should I take this job? In college students, it's what should my major be? Should I marry this person? Should I change careers? We face larger decisions. What are we gonna do about that? Well, the Bible gives us this example of a story of how we can respond when those opportunities arise in our life. I find this in my life, that even, even as my family and I have been thinking through what the next steps in our life might look like, what is God asking us to do here in the city of Nacogdoches? We, we come before the Lord and say, God, what is it that you have for us? And perhaps your family might look like that in moments. And so this story gives us a glimpse into how we can live a life of obedience to the Lord. But I'd like to say that it only gives us a glimpse because we're actually living in a greater reality now than, we, than they were in 1 Samuel 23. So we're gonna talk about the story of David in the city of Keilah. The story of David in the city of Keilah. Now before we dive into that story, we have to understand a little bit of some background here. So I actually wanna start in 1 Samuel 22. Uh, we're gonna read the first two verses there because David is hiding and he has some people with him. And we need to look at who is with David because this has become rather important. We're gonna take some time just looking at this story. Imagine this is just a narrative today. Place yourself, try to get your imagination going today. Place yourself in the story of David in the city of Keilah. Imagine what it would be like to be in that room. So here's the people who are with David. Uh, we're going to read chapter 22, verse 1 through 2. 
And so then David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. What's happening? Well, at this point, David is running for his life from King Saul. King Saul has decided that he hates David. I use that word hate intentionally because that is the emotion that he has for him. He wants to kill David. Now, this is the same Saul who, when David killed Goliath, gave David his daughter to marry. So David is married to Michael, Saul's daughter. Yet Saul wants to kill David. The same Saul whose son, Jonathan, was David's lifelong best friend. Yet Saul wanted to kill David. Saul is trying to kill David immensely, 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 over and over and over again. And so David is running from his life. And so much of the story is David running. Well, what happens is that people begin to trust in David. They begin to trust in his leadership and not Saul's leadership. We're going to see that throughout the story today. There's going to be a parallel of the leadership of King David and the leadership of King Saul, although David isn't king yet, but you'll see a parallel. And what happens is, so he's, he's fleeing from Saul and he goes down to these caves and his family comes with him. But not just his family, this ragtag group of people, people who are in distress, people who are in debt, people who are bitter in soul. That must have been a fun group. And David's their leader. And that's who's with David. David, a man after God's own heart. David, who wrote so many psalms. David, running for his life, leader of these misfits. And we're going to come to chapter 23. So here's what happens. Let's go ahead and read verse 1. 23 verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floor. Okay, there's a bunch there. I wanted to stop and unpack that. So the they, word comes to David. Remember, David is hiding. He's in the caves. And, and word comes to David and says, the city of Keilah needs help. The Philistines have come in and they're taking all of the grain off the threshing floor. In other words, the city of Keilah has been harvesting all of this food for months, this entire year. And now the Philistines are coming in and taking what they did not earn. And the city of Keilah is defenseless. The city of Keilah needs help. These people will starve. You should see a couple different things there. The first thing that should come to your mind is, why is this coming to David? Who's the, who's the king? Saul. But when the city of Keilah is under attack, who do they go to? They go to David. This shows us something. Saul has the title of leadership, but David actually was a leader. Saul was too busy fighting David to actually care for his people. So David has an opportunity right in front of him. What will he do? The city of Keilah is being robbed. The people are running out of food that they've worked so hard for. 
The city of Keilah is a part of Israel. His people, what are they going to do? David's face with an opportunity. You see, the Philistines, they didn't mind going to war and robbing Keilah because there was no leadership in Israel. They knew that Saul was distracted. They, they knew that it was easy picking. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He says, a lesser man than David would have sacrificed public good for his personal revenge. David could have said, well, it's not my problem. City of Keilah, I'm in this cave. I don't got to worry about the city of Keilah. City of Keilah is under distress. Well, too bad you have a bad king. He's not coming. Sorry. That's what David so easily could have done. I want to ask you a question. What would you do if you were David? Saul is trying to kill you. You're running for your life. You now have about 400 misfits who are with you. And you're in the caves, 400 people in caves. That's, that's tight. That's packed. <laughs> and you're running from your life, and all of a sudden word comes to you. It says, come help the city of Keilah, a wide open city where if you go down there, everyone knows word's going to get back to Saul, and he's going to come kill you. But they need help. What will you do? I think this is the modern day equivalent of being asked to help with something only because another person has neglected their own responsibilities. It's, it's all of a sudden, it's now your opportunity to help because they haven't done their job. Y'all understand that? We encounter that all the time. At workplace, we get asked to help to pick up a slack in a project because someone didn't do what they were supposed to do. Uh, in marriage, we get the opportunity to do that because, well, they didn't keep their end of the bargain, so now how am I gonna respond? In friendship, we get the opportunity to do that. When someone's going down a rough spot and making poor life decisions, we can either get in the ditch and help them or we can say, well, serves you right, that was a bad decision. You see, these kind of decisions face us all the time. How are we going to respond? We're just like David. What are we gonna do? Let's read what's going on with the story. Verse two. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go, attack the Philistines, save Keilah. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Go back to verse two. What happens? This opportunity is placed right in front of David. How is he going to respond? Well, he does what I pray any of us would do. He goes to the Lord. He says, God, what am I supposed to do? says he inquired of the Lord. That sounds a little too holy for me. I'm sure he went into a cave by himself and says, God, I don't know what to do. Threw his hands up in the air. What am I going to do? Have y'all ever had those moments in prayer where you go to the Lord and you say, God, I don't know what to do, God. I need you to give me direction because without your direction, I am clueless right now. I've had those moments in my life. This is what David's experiencing. And God responds and he says, go and attack the Philistines. Save the city of Keilah. 
Be their protector. Protect the people who have no leadership. So David goes and tells his men, you know, that ragtag group who was already bitter in soul and already in distress and in debt. He says, we got to go save the city of Keilah. And they said, no, we don't. <laughs> they said, I think that's a terrible idea, David. They said, listen, we are safe right here. And then we go out there, we're going to fight the Philistines. But what happens after we fight the Philistines? Oh, there, all of a sudden King Saul's here. So now we have two armies to fight. And they said, David, we're not leaving. And David goes, okay, okay. So he goes back to the Lord. It's a moment where he thought he heard from God that we, he needed to go. And then he faced opposition. And so he goes back to the Lord. And I don't blame David for going back to the Lord the second time. I think it's natural for him to say, okay, God, is this right? Do you want us to go? And God, full of grace, full of compassion, he says, yes, arise, get up. It's time to go. There's a job that I've called you to do, and let's go do it. So now David is faced with another decision. He now knows there's a problem. He's gone to the Lord to ask for a solution. God's told him what to do. And now it's the real test. Will he do it? We often stop short of that last step. God, there's a problem in my life. How should I respond? And through his spirit or through his word, he reveals the truth to us. And then we have an opportunity in front of us. How will we respond? Will we be people who do what God has asked us to do? And David decided he was going to be one of those people. And what happens? God allows David to go to Keilah and deliver the city. He, he was seeking God. And my question is, do we seek God when these opportunities arise in our life, when we're trying to discern what the next step is for us, do we seek God? As someone once said, you can't effectively inquire of the Lord if you've already made up your mind. You can't go to the Lord and say, hey God, I'm pretty sure we're already gonna do this. All I need you to do is give me that spiritual peace right in here so when I go do it, I don't feel bad. Is that person actually open to the voice of the Lord? No, they're, they are waiting just to feel good. But what we're talking about here with David is coming before the Lord and saying, God, what do I do? And in that moment, God showed up and he answered. I believe we face these moments. It's saying, I will do whatever you ask of me, God, no matter what. When was the last time you prayed that? When was the last time you prayed and said, God, I will do whatever you ask of me. I will go wherever you ask of me. I will talk to whoever you ask me to talk to. I will change however you ask me to change. Do we ask that prayer? I want you to think about a time in your life when you knew God was asking you to do something, but you thought it was going to be very, very difficult. And there you are in that moment thinking about whether or not you're going to respond in obedience. Whether or not you're going to look at the difficult T in front of you and run away. Sometimes the things the Lord asks us to do can seem difficult for us. 
Now God's spirit is with us. His presence is with us. But in our mind, which often fools us, in our mind we are tricked into believing that this is too hard. How will we respond? I love what David does. So David goes and he takes care of the city of Keilah. Let's go down to verse 6. I want us to look at what happens here. Now we've got a couple names in this passage. Now I'm going to have to kind of walk you through here. But when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Beathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the man of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. Let's, let's stop there. That's a lot. I want to break that down. We're introduced to a couple characters here. The first one being Abiathar. He's the priest. He came with the ephod. Why is that important? Well, if you go back one chapter... There's a story of King Saul going to the priest, Abiathar and his family. And word had gotten around that they had been a refuge for David. You see, Abiathar's family had been a, a place of safety for David on his journey. And Saul found out about that. And Saul went and, and, and killed all of the priests as a way of enacting revenge. It's actually this incredible story about how the Israelites wouldn't do what Saul was asking him to do, but the, Saul had to actually hire the Edomites, the enemies of Israel, to do his dirty work. And Abiathar survives. He's the only one alive. And he runs down to David. So Abiathar's lost his entire family. And that's the state that we find him in this story. And he comes to David. Do you think there was revenge in his heart? There was frustration in his heart, mourning in his heart. Saul is his enemy. And when Abiathar is giving counsel to David, he could have said, stand here and fight. Let's take care of this guy. It's not what he does. But rather, he also inquires of the Lord with David. Abiathar shows up with an ephod in his hand. And it says that Saul finally comes. You know, when the city of Keilah was asking for help, where was Saul? Nowhere to be seen. But when David, his enemy, shows up, Saul shows up with an entire army of Israel. 
he gathers all the forces and they all come to Keilah. And he says, we will take care of David. Saul was a leader whose priorities were completely mixed up. Saul is a great example of someone who has allowed something in their life to cloud them. And that they are no longer being the person that God has asked them to be. Saul is an example of someone who's got things so mixed up in his mind that he's so entangled himself with a fixation, an unhealthy fixation, where God has called him to do this, and in his mind he has decided all of his energy will be focused on this. I think about our own lives. Have we ever been like Saul? Well, we know that God is calling us to live a certain way, but we've taken our time and our energy and fixated on something other than what God has called us to do. And so therefore, blinded ourselves from being the leader, being the person that God has asked us to be. Where we fixated our energy on things away from what God has asked us to do. I think we can do this in all kinds of places. We'll fixate on work. We were Forget the responsibility of being a father. Fixate on a new relationship and completely abandon our friends. We'll fixate on our personal goals. 2023, new year, new you. And then completely neglect caring for others, serving others, because it's all about you improving. Unhealthy fixations in our life can lead us away from the things that God's asked us to do. And at times we just look like Saul more than we're comfortable saying. What else does Saul say though? In this passage, if you look down in verse seven, he says, after he finds out that David's in Keilah, how does Saul respond? He says, God has given him into my hand. You see, Saul was someone who gave the appearance of following God without the reality of following God. David was someone who was a lot less interested in the appearance of following God. He just went and met with God and said, what do I do? And I, and I think as a church, we want to be a people who are not concerned about having the appearance of following God, but are concerned about being people who actually follow, actually obey, people who are sons and daughters of obedience to the Lord. That's the desire of this church. What about David? He's now saved the city of Keilah. You would think the city of Keilah would be having a parade. They have food. The threshing floors aren't robbed anymore. It is a great time. Then they hear Saul's coming. And all of a sudden that joy and that excitement that they felt from being rescued now turns into fear. And what do you do when you're afraid? You go into self-preservation. And so the city of Keilah, as an act of self-preservation, is ready to hand over David and his 600 men to the army of Saul. They are ready. I thank you for saving us. We really appreciate it. Um, they're Saul. That's what's about to happen. And David kind of begins to sense that there's something happening here that he once again has opportunity and a decision in front of him and how will he respond. 
And so he goes to Abiathar and they grab the ephod. I want to tell you real quick about this. Now, the, an ephod is um, a garment that a priest would wear. So a priestly work was a very bloody work. Uh, it dealt with animal sacrifices often. And so when you picture an ephod, picture a, a butcher's apron. Okay? And on this ephod, we know this one most likely was the ephod of the high priest. He most likely grabbed the, the special ephod when he was fleeing for his life. And the high priest is the one who went and met with God. What we know about this ephod is that it has a breastplate of judgment on it. And in the ephod, there was a pocket that had two stones. There was two stones. There was the, the urim and the thurum. Now, here's how they would use those stones. God had given them a method on how to ask questions of the Lord and to hear from him with those two, stone, two stones. What they would do is they would place them in the pocket and they would ask a yes or no question. And they would pull a stone out. And based upon which color of the stone was an answer from the Lord of yes or no. I mean, what does David do? He says, will the, will the people of the city of Keilah, will they betray me? That's a yes or no question. Abiathar, the priest, would have grabbed a stone to give an answer. Now, the goal isn't to hear this and think, i got to find some black and white stones. I've got to figure out how to hear God. And I'm just, on, me and God are only going to communicate in a yes or no questions from here on out. You see, the, the fixation here isn't to think about stones for our own personal genie usage. Um, but rather to think of those, those stones as a method that God had given his people on how they could communicate and hear from him. And now if we think about our lives and think about the method that God has given us on how we communicate, hear from, and have relationship with him, Two things automatically ought to come to your mind. The Holy Spirit and God's word. Something far greater than black and white rocks. Because we are not just inquiring questions of the Lord, but now we have this relationship with God. And to be clear, there's been a relationship with God throughout the entire Old Testament. This is just one particular instance on how they communicated with God. But now we have this relationship with God where we know the things that he's asked us to do. Some of y'all might say something like, I just don't know what God is asking me to do, so therefore, I'm not gonna do anything. And I think what you mean by that is you're looking for specificity. You're looking on, should I take this job? Should, we, should I move my family? But sometimes in our search for specificity, we neglect the things that God has already called us to do. When you read your scripture, you can see that, that Jesus has clearly instructed his people on how to live in the kingdom of God. I mean, look no further than uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know what God is asking me to do. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. While you're doing that, wait for him to show you. You see, the spirit of God is also going to give us specificity in moments. In moments, not always, but in moments. 
Think about the book of Acts. Uh, all of our college students, we've been going through the book of Acts. We're about 20 weeks in. Who knows if I'll ever finish, but we've been going through the entire book of Acts. And all throughout Acts, you see the Holy Spirit show up and with specificity tell them, depart, go here, take this route, go this way. And that God will sometimes be very specific in the things he's asked, he says. But sometimes it's very general. And the good news is we don't rely on a priest. We don't rely on a Beathar. We don't rely on an ephod anymore. We have a relationship with the living God by which he guides us. So how do we respond? What about us? Well, I mentioned this earlier, but David sought the Lord. He asked the Lord what to do. The Lord told him what to do. Then, it, then he went and did what the Lord had asked him to do. And I think that's the hard part for so many of us. We either refuse to sit and listen to what the Lord has asked us to do, or we know what God has asked us to do, yet we don't want to go and do that. And if I were to ask you a question, do you believe there is something in your life that you know that God has asked you to do? Has God shown you something in your life that you know is from him? That's from the Holy Spirit, complements scripture? And, and how are you responding? Or perhaps you're in the moment where you say, I can sense that there's a next step of obedience in front of me. I'm not quite sure what it is, but in the meantime, I will be faithful to the Lord. I will love the Lord. I will love my neighbor. I will live in this community as a follower of Christ until I gather understanding. And it reminds me of James 1.22 when he says, be, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. We can develop a habit as Christians to be people who come to church and, and learn a lot about God. We learn so much about God that intellectually we feel like we really know God. And then we mark that as maturity. But we see that following God has always not just been to learn things of God, but to follow him. When Jesus invited his disciples, he did not say, come and study me with a clipboard. <laughs> he said, no, follow me, imitate me. And our job as a church is to follow the Lord. But often the thing that we know we ought to do is scary. I want to end with a rather funny story. Um, my wife and I went to Colorado at the beginning of November. Anybody love Colorado? I'm a huge Colorado fan. Okay, three of us. All right, well. <laughs> love going to the mountains. I love the mountains. And, well, so we've been traveling all day, and we left early in the morning, traveled all day. We got to southern Colorado. We visited Walmart, got some food, got to our cabin. Uh, we're not even staying in a town. It's more like just some place on the mountain that has cabins, you know, very remote place. And so there we are. We take all the groceries in. We come inside, and we go to bed, and it's our, it's our first night in the cabin, so I figured I might as well, you know, go and lock up the place, make sure we're all safe and secure. And all of a sudden, I notice our car lights on. And, and I kind of look at it a little closely, and I thought, it's weird. 
I thought Melina was. And so I'm looking again. And sitting in our passenger seat is a bear. (laughs) Sitting in our passenger seat is a bear. Now, guys, I know I've been in Nacogdoches for about 10 years now. But what y'all don't, what y'all might know is I was raised in, like, right off the interstate in Fort Worth. And I have no teaching in my life on how to handle bears. Zero. Okay, so I am completely out of my league, just dumbfounded that there's a bear sitting in my car. And what he's doing, this is kind of funny, he's doing somersaults from the front of our car to the back of our car because we had folded the seats down. And so he's just rolling. But it's, it's a bear, all right? Okay, so I, I call Melina over. You know, we've been, we've been driving for like 16 hours. Who knows? We might be hallucinating. But... Um, And that's when I realized there are two types of people in the world. There are people who want to go and get rid of the bear. And then there's me, who has no desire to talk to that thing at all. And he does not need to know I'm here. And so what does Melina do? The first thing she does is she opens up the door and she goes, hey, bear. And I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um. And, uh, and she turns around and looks at me, and she goes, you need to get that bear out of the car. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. And to be honest, I hadn't, I hadn't made a plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew me and that bear weren't ever talking to each other. I, I wasn't going to go see it. And so here we are. And uh, she says, you got to go get that bear out of the car. Opportunity in front of me. And I said, I have no weapons. Because once again, I'm from the city. I don't know how I'm going to fight a bear. And... And she's like, well, here, grab those. And she points to some ski poles on the, on the, no, they're like, they're about this large. And I was like, I'm not fighting the bear with this. So now I'm terrified. I'm just going to be totally honest. I was completely afraid. And Melina opens the door and starts walking to the car. So here I am on the front porch. My wife is going to attack the bear. And I am the wimp husband (laughs) going, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And somehow I muster up the courage, literally no idea, to go. And at this point, the bear had, I think we had somehow scared him off with the car horn and everything, which all of y'all knew this, whatever. And, and the bear leaves, and I close the door, and we run inside, and I'm like, yeah, got rid of the bear. And we come to find out that uh, bears know how to open doors. Uh, we had forgot to lock the car and the bears know how to open doors and I have a great video of bear paw prints all around the car and in the car and whatever. Everything was fine. But I use that story as an example of sometimes the thing that you know you're supposed to do, you're like me. Standing there going, I don't want to do that. No. And while that is an incredibly lighthearted story and I never want to encounter a bear like that ever again. (laughs) It reminds me of situations in our life where God is asking us to do something, but we say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. And he's, and he's, he's whispered into our ear like a sweet father that is gentle and kind and is saying, this is for you. And sometimes we go, no, God, I, I'm so scared. I, I, I cannot do that. And he says, this is for you. You can do it. He's gone before you. 
He's prepared a way. No, God, I can't do it. And I just want to be a church that is full of people like David in this moment that says, what did God say to do? Let's do it. God, guide me. Okay, do this. I'll do that. I want to be a church that's motivated by obedience. And so that's the challenge today. What is on your heart that God is asking you to say yes to? What is God calling you to do and will you say yes? And the decision that you're facing, will you go before the Lord and say, God, what's next? Or will you go and say, I've already made up my mind, God, just confirm it. Or we say, Lord, guide me, direct me, open-handed. Let's pray as the band comes back. God, thank you so much for the story of the city of Keilah. Thank you how you sent David to rescue that city. And that's those people in the city had a rescuer. God, there are times in our life where you've asked us to do things and we're scared. We're scared. There are times in our life where we look at the enemy and the enemy being what will people think, the enemy being financial, the enemy being the unknown. And we say, God, there's no way. God, may we be a church that says, yes, Lord, whatever you've asked of us to do, we will do. And I pray for the people who are struggling today, who are sitting in the midst of it, and they know what it is you've asked of them to do. I pray that they will respond with yes, God. That you would give them the courage in this moment to say yes to you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.